Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. I am sorry about my voice, I'm really sick, <laughs> but it's okay. Uh, this is part two of our episode with Ipshita Chatterjee. If you haven't listened to part one, you can find a link to it in the show notes of this episode. And yeah, please enjoy the conversation. Share it with your friend, your mom, your dog. Leave us a rating. You know the drill. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. Wow. That is so much information. My God, but it makes so much sense. And I mean, I had never done, I had never made the the connection between that kind of, the, the role that the Judeo-Christian identity played in the whole thing, because I knew that the the right was very, you know, is very focused on white Europeans in the context of Judeo-Christianity. But what you said before about becoming weaker and that we need to reclaim this aspect of plundering and pillaging and the activity like the um penetrative aspect of it right the outwards the conquering that i had really not crossed my mind and also what you said about the philosophical basis like it feels to me that it's kind of a hijacking of enlightenment if i want if i may put it this way you know it's like this is the ideal this is who i am now this is who i should be as a white man, whatever, you know, so that there's a there's a redemptionist side to it, because as you said, it's like trying to get off of the oppressive crutches of modernism. And the you know, we've become limp, we've become weak, we've become addicted to Netflix and sense pleasures. But the answer to that would not be Let's all come together, revisit the subject, what are we doing wrong, build a new future. It's kind of a you know, like falling back to the the thing that we know is safe, or at least we think we know is safe, which is, as their catchphrase goes, if I'm not mistaken, the reject modernity, embrace tradition thing. So there's this redemptionist aspect to it, but it's also visionary in a sense that it's not only about saving us from what is happening to us now, but also there's a plan. And that is where the policy aspect comes in, like the ethnostate thing. So it's so nuanced and I honestly had no idea. I'm dumbfounded. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I love that you say that it's a hijacking of uh, enlightenment and it's the redemptive aspects. And I myself don't use that term, hijacking of enlightenment in the book. And I'm regretting that I didn't think it. <laughs> I'm just regretting that. I, but, you know, that is exactly what I was trying to portray in the book, that it is not some kind, just some kind of an a bunch of crazy people sitting uh, in some rural village and imagining a religion in a certain way. Yeah, it's organized. It is, uh, it is organized. It is modern, but anti-modern yeah. in, a, in a certain way. So that's the hijacking of enlightenment. And I was saying that in many ways, it is very similar uh, to individualism, sense of alienation, which is the spirit of enlightenment. But the, but the project of enlightenment was to emancipate. And they are using the same tools of enlightenment, but it's emancipation uh, viewed in a certain way and only for a certain group. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. yes, the plundering and the pillaging and let's do, be active, the praxis uh, that led to the emergence of um, uh, democracy and capitalism. If you think about it, as think about enlightenment as separated from the alt-right. It was about uh, challenging the feudal aristocracy. And that the ordinary human individual can work on nature, labor, and produce profit, and um, 
create capitalism, which is the edifice of modernity, and so that's the conquering and the pillaging and domination of nature. But uh, and the similarity is there here as well. But it is uh, not about the individuals and uh, emancipation through uh, through hard work. It is a, a very particular kind of emancipation. It is about creating a state that will keep people out. Uh, so it is. Um, it's got a global movement, but the result of it is not globalization. So the result of it is a particular kind of nationalism and a particular kind of nation. And even the women in the alt-right, and they call themselves trad wives or traditional wives. Mm-hmm. That's their group call. And they say that Europe was the best romantic gesture that men had given as gifts to women. They akin Europe and European civilization to a home, you know, a protected home, a perfect home, which, which has a nice garden and has a nice kitchen and everything feminine. And man, the white man constructed it for the white woman. And it was not the white woman's job to construct it. It was her job to maintain it and feminize it. And so it is interesting how they are projecting or extrapolating the traditional masculine feminine role with the man being the domain of the outside world, uh, the, the domain of rationality, the domain where he does politics and builds a nation and does geopolitics. And the woman is inside the nation. So the nation is the home, the family, and she bakes and cooks. And then they characterize it as these are different but equal roles. And so that is the man's domain, the conquering, pillaging, and it's my job to hold the fort. Uh, so this this is the traditional, even in the woman, characterizing the macro idea of the white man and agreeing to it. So it is a very distinct kind of um, masculinity, femininity as well. So it's a distinct kind of patriarchal construction that is also going on. Uh, if you dig deep, I don't even know. And he said, oh, it is so nuanced. I don't even know if they understand the nuance. But as as you dig deep, you see all these layers of individual identity that bubbles within us and uh, that then acquires its entire image in the Internet or the cyberspace. And it starts clicking into place. These are all products of enlightenment. We are all products of enlightenment. So it is part of their ideology but it is being used as a tool to bring about unenlightened forms of emancipation, if you will. So, And it is based on fear. And if I could say a little bit about uh, the fear uh, that drives it. Um, and I have recognized that three, four, five kinds of things uh, that drive this. And one is identity. As you characterize it, it is the opposite identity, the brown, based on phenotypical characteristics, the brown, the black identity. Uh, the other is the woman, uh, you know, and uh, the empowered woman. That's, there's a fear of that as well. Um, uh, and there is also the fear of the loss of the economy or the market. That's the domain of men, white men. And so that will be taken over by women and migrants. So there is a fear of that as well, you know, employment, the real political economic fear. There's a fear of the left and and the understanding of the left. You know, what is this left? Is this the left where which fights against uh, the gender binaries? And so 
this kind of left is going to usher a world without gender. And so they use char- particular characteristics for the leftist man. Right. And Jason, uh, it, it is very much like you. <laughs> the way they describe the, I'm the aware. way they describe the leftist man. <laughs> and so, you know, and you know, the idea is you're a fearful, you're fearsome in their eyes. And so they say, oh, what's the leftist man? The leftist man is thin. The leftist man wears skinny jeans. The leftist man has a man bun. The leftist man has earrings. It's as if I'm describing you. I'm looking Completely. at you. And, I'm <laughs> <laughs> and so it is, it is that fear. And so when I read it, I'm thinking, who are they talking about? Are they talking about me? How did they know me? <laughs> and so, and so it is, it is the, that fear that, you know, it's not, so the left means no gender binaries. The left means men who are women, women who are men. Yeah, the the, it's the left as the agent of chaos, right? The left as the... Chaos. It's like complete... Absolutely dis- unpredictable... Yes. Yeah. Annihilation of what I know to be true. Right. So there is a great fear of that. And, and a lot of people who are not on the left or on the alt-right catch on to that fear. Because it's a very new kind of left identity and, and, you don't, and they don't know how to fit into that. Mm-hmm. And so they fe- don't feel comfortable. So they might be... So, so those who are in the center might be, oh, yeah, you know, immigrants are okay. And, you know, it is okay to protect the climate. Wow, but to share the stage with the left, I can't do that. And so they, they, it's much more comfortable zoning for them to retreat into the alt-right. And then they connect that fear of the left with leftist geopolitics. And so they're going to say things like, well, most of these people in the left are raised by single mothers. So single mothers as the code for the empowered woman, right? You know, mm. the one who did not agree to maybe, you know, an abusive relationship or the normal heterosexual uh, marriage institution. And so it is a, a kind of backdoor attack on that. And they say, oh, well, the leftist man is a product of this, uh, the fallen woman. Right. If I can use the- theological characteristic. Okay. It's the fallen woman, the Eve that bit the apple. So the leftist and man so is, the, is, the, is a product of the failure of the traditional yes. family that we're trying to get back to. Yes. And, and the problem was, and there's a slut shaming and the failure of the family was because of the woman. And so now that woman has raised this man. And now this man is going to be Barack Obama. <laughs> and then this man, the Barack Obama, is going to do weak geopolitics like letting the migrants and, and, let, and environmental protection. Not that Barack Obama was letting in the migrants. But what I'm trying to say is that they say, well, feminism will lead to weak geopolitics. And so there is a very insidious connection between uh, micro-identities and then suddenly projecting into global identities. And therefore, the panacea or the medicine in their mind is let's hide and be comfortable in our fear and create a state where we all agree and everybody else can be outside it. Mm So there is that fear also. What they do not deconstruct is why the why is there a fear and where is it coming from? I think all of us are fearful of something, Jason. For sure. People in the left, people mm. in the center, people in the right. We are products of society. We are product of social programming. So uh, we are we all have some kind of inherent fear, and I think um, what they don't deconstruct really well is that their fear is stemming from. Things like extreme individualism, extreme alienation, 
extreme commodification and consumption that breeds these alienation, uh, association of happiness with stuff, this is where the fear is coming from. Because if we, as a society, we've decided that we are most happy if we have a big house and we have a lot of furniture and, uh, you, you know, we have the sports car. And if we don't have that, mm. then it is, it is a feeling of fear. And so uh, to acquire more happiness would mean to be more selfish, to be more individualistic, which would mean that I'm competing always with everybody. If I want to collect more stuff than my partner, I'm even competing with my partner. So it is a fostering of a very alienating individualism, which is the entire problem of modernity. It's not just the problem of all tribes. Mm -hmm. It is the basis of our society. And in various ways, we deal with those, those fears in different ways. Some of us shun materialism and say, well, that's not how I'm going to think about happiness. I'm going to take a hike. And you're saying that I was taking a hike and I got lost today. <laughs> and I was saying, Jesus, that's great. You know, so that's how we deal with some of our fears. Others who are not as enlightened as you are, Jason, oh uh, they don't connect back to they don't connect back to nature. And so they're like, I'm afraid and I don't know where my fear is coming from. And I'll go and speak to a therapist. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a psychological way of dealing with fear. And again, that's individualistic. And most of us have retreated into that individualism as communities have disappeared and friendship groups have become, you know, things that we text, we faceless people that we face text or join in Zoom forums and things like that, as real communities has dissipated, uh, how do we deal with this fear? And uh, some of us reconnect with nature, some of us uh, meditate. Uh, we have all these ways of dealing with fear. This is the alt-right's way of dealing with fear. Um, it, it's like keeping the fearful out and producing a whole political praxis which dehumanizes what you're afraid of rather than looking inward and understanding why am I afraid? Right. And if, if I'm afraid because I don't have, I'll probably see that my next generation will not accumulate as much property or stuff or job. Then who is the real culprit here? Should we not look at the systemic reasons why wages have not gone up? Why, you know, corporate profits have gone up, but well-being of the ordinary masses have not gone up? Should, the, should we then not deconstruct capitalism, neoliberal capitalism, and really understand the basis of fear? Uh, very few of us are, can do that. And so uh, in the absence of that level of analysis, uh, we are doing other kinds of projections. So we don't really deconstruct where is our alienation coming from. It's come from, coming from individualism yeah. and competition and disconnection from nature, disconnection from society. Uh, rather than doing that, uh, these seems large problems. And so we are like, oh, if you could deal with the immigrant, if you could deal with the Muslim, then it would just make us feel happy for the time being. It's like going to the mall and buying something and it makes you happy for a little bit. And so it's like, oh, let's dis disparage the Muslim on the cyberspace. And suddenly it's an adrenaline and you're feeling excited and you're feeling happy. And it's an internet movement, therefore, that, that keeps you going. So it's, it's a, that's a little bit about, you know, my analysis of fear and all of us have fear. And I think as a society, mm. we've forgotten how to analyze it and how to deal with it. Completely. And uh, it seems super interesting to me what you said specifically about capitalism, right? 
and about the economic system as the main driver of this fear and of this alienation. And I was wondering, does the fact that Western neoliberal capitalism, does the fact that it is a creation of the white man as the alt-right envisions it, sort of an obstacle to its designation as the problem? I don't know if I'm making sense, but like, you know, reaching that level of analysis, as you said, to really, really, truly understand what is happening to us, then the reality that you find yourself in is that the mental offspring of three, four, five hundred years of white history is the 21st century with its alienation, with yeah. all of the pathologies of life yeah. today. So I think yeah. it's, a, it's a great hurdle for someone that feels proud of their identity or that does not want to admit that they have done something wrong in the micro-emotional scale or, or in the macro-emotional scale. Yeah. Like, for me, it seems that it's hard for the identity itself to admit to itself that all of the construct of the West up until this point is rife with pathology. So in order yeah. to not live in that reality and to not have to go through the stage of, oh my God, what have we done to ourselves and the world? Uh, it is better mm -hmm. to retreat into, you know, no, it's all fine. It's just that immigrants, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, and I, that is exactly it. And I think there are two problems to admitting and going into that deep level of analysis and uh, you know in psychology they talk about the subconscious and the conscious mm -hmm. and so the conscious is what you're aware of and the subconscious you're aware of but you don't want to admit because that would mean uh, reaching deep digging deep and bringing out and actually facing yourself yeah and that is a very hard thing to do uh, to suddenly realize that you always thought that you are the liberator you are the emancipator you are the bringer of good but you're the abuser. Mm -hmm. That is to admit a schizophrenic personality inside of yourself. Completely. That, oh my God, all my investment in history has come to this. It is about institutionalizing pathology and calling it self-interest and competition and wealth of nations. Yeah. But it is not really wealth of nations. It's poverty of nations. It is degeneration of nations. It is the degeneration of community. And so... There is a subconscious level awareness of that, but then that 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 would mean that your entire history uh, up to this point is rife with abuse, and you call it pathology. And uh, so, and I am product of that abuse, and I think that is what I'm saying that you have to accept that, and you're not completely all responsible for it. But the awareness of it is the moment of enlightenment, exactly. not what you thought was enlightenment. Exactly. Is the awareness of it, and what are we going to do about it? It's the one thing. But I think at the subconscious level, there is an awareness of it, that this neoliberal capitalism, trickle-down economics is deeply patriar patriarchal and it is uh, also very individualistic, alienating and uh, competitive. And that is why it is going to manifest in all these kinds of diseases. But what are we going to do now? We're going to go back and say, no, you know, we took slaves and we did all these things. Uh, that is an admission of uh, deep mental psychological Historical disorder. Oh, yeah. So that's one thing hard to do. And the second thing is, well, then we have to do something about it. What are we going to redistribute wealth? Now acknowledge the problems of colonization. Acknowledge the problems of takeover of indigenous land. 
then the once you've accepted that you're a madman, then you're going to have to start shock therapy in the reverse order. Redistributive dimensions, the tax dimensions that you give back, and, and, and you know, so you're calling, calling back the communal society where we are each responsible for others' coexistence. All these years you've said that's not the case. And so the redistributive element, and I think that is the problem, not of the alt-right, but it's the general um, uh, patriarchal capitalism from which the alt-right emerges. Mm -hmm. And even the alt-left and ultra-left emerges uh, in many ways, even as it critiques capitalism, we have to be cognizant of the fact uh, that a, a lot of, large part of the spirit of enlightenment was about this alienation and individualism, and uh, it led to certain systemic uh, inequalities. And so we don't want to engage with it. And in our mind, democracy and redistribution in liberal, liberal democracies, at least, is about, oh, everybody has equal opportunities. And now if you hard, work hard, you're going to be able to find happiness yeah, in the life. pull yourself up by the bootstraps doctrine, right? Yes, and it feels really good. It's like, oh, it's a free society. Everybody has equal opportunities. And so we are not being discriminatory here. We are being inclusive. But there is the uh, hidden discrimination here. The point is that everybody is not starting at the same level, that there is a historicity of inequality. And you cannot be more unequal than giving equal opportunities to existing unequals. You give, give equal opportunities to unequals. You're not creating equality. Yeah. Everybody's not starting at the same level. And so I, I think um, uh, the spirit of enlightenment, uh, liberal democracy doesn't want to recognize that. It just says that irrespective of your color, creed, uh, ethnicity, you all have equal opportunities. But up to this point in history, we were not equal. So even if you give me equal opportunities now, the toxicity is not going to be reversed. So there is the two level of uh, uh, abuse that you're talking about. One is that we believe that what was abusive was actually happiness and uh, wealth and prosperity and emancipation. Uh, it's for the first time uh, the freedom fighter is realizing that they were actually the terrorist. So that's that's one thing. And the second is then what are we going to do about it? We All the folks that we've abused, now we are going to have to redistribute we have to recognize. So that becomes a problematic And give dimension. power back to them? And give what are they going to do to us after that? Yes, exactly. After this. So we have been violent hegemons. And so to give the counter hegemonic power, that power. So there's this deep fear. And I think sometimes the left stokes that fear. And, I, and the left probably does this analysis, you know, anti-colonial movement, pro-indigenous movement, feminist movements pro-environmental movement does these kind of anti-capitalist analysis, uh, but it also same time stokes the fear of those in the right and the alt-right uh, that uh, we are aware of the schizophrenic personality of patriarchal capitalism. Now, if these other are going to make us see that and make us face the mirror, what are we going to have to do about it? So I think uh, the onus is also on the left to construct a form of emancipation that is not the reverse of the fear that the alt-right is creating. And so based on our pre-conversations, you've been talking about, you know, what is the alternative, what kind of globalization. And I think the onus lies on the left to not become a reactionary left. Right. But that takes a lot of maturity, right? It takes a lot of uh, collective maturity to envision a future yeah. that includes, in a way, even your enemy, quote-unquote or the person that is exactly. presenting the biggest problem right now. Yes, right. you hit the nail on the head. 
All right. So I would also like to move to a more bright side because <laughs> uh, we have done an extensive analysis up to this point of the whole movement, uh, how it works, where it began and all of that. But I would like you to talk to me about how you see the future of this, right? How you see it playing out and possibly how this problem can be tackled. So what do you think is the way forward? Or what do you see happening and what do you hope is going to happen? So uh, what you see as happening, I think technology plays a very important role in the construction of these new kind of new age movement, the internet, because uh, most of these people uh, collect over the internet. And uh, to me, that is a big hurdle for a more social justice praxis because um, the kind of cyberspace in which um, reactionary ideologies meet allow for reactionary praxis. So it is like bit size information or you know chat rooms where you're anonymous often and it is very easy for you to pour toxicity and then you're not really fighting a real war and somebody else pours toxicity back and you then reply back. And so you're fighting all these proxy wars on the internet because it is easy to do so. It is a click of a mouse. And the other is dehumanized because you don't have to deal with the other. Often it's anonymous names. So in many ways, I think these movements are going to acquire greater toxicity because of social media and the kind of space that internet gives us because it allows for quick reactions based on our core fear without having to take accountability for it. And then if you remember the movie Avatar where the trees would connect with their mm -hmm. roots. So the internet is like that. So the toxicity flows real quickly and becomes globe girdling and fear catches on. And so that is why it is easy for the alt-right to imagine greater and greater global space because it is actually an illusion of space, the cyberspace. Because over there, you are not, the police is not visiting you uh, with a handcuff for saying what you said. So it's easy to, for you to pour venom. And I think that is where it's going to breed really deeply and spread really quickly. And it can have material manifestations in the form of what you know, we saw insurrection in the White House or disruptive events um, in uh, real places and real cities. When the opportune moment is right, the toxicity is going to flow out from cyberspace to real space. But I also see the internet as an opportunity, therefore. And if you could reverse the toxicity, if you could put anti-venom, it would also flow real quickly. And, um, you know, the anti-venom is what you're doing here, Jason. It is co-opting the cyberspace in having more of a think kind of deep analytical conversations, which go beyond, you know, so many words in Twitter or, you know, and as a little blurb that you leave, if you could use the internet space and co-op the internet space to create a more global sense of consciousness, you know, more of a global consciousness that is not based on fear and therefore not hatred, but based on a universal sense of emancipation and social justice, then we are pouring in anti-venom. But I think that requires deeper conversations like this, mm -hmm than leaving little trails of, you know, bites and anger and sarcasm and toxicity. And that is very easy to the internet because it's a very democratic medium. People can use it in any way they want. We need more people, therefore, 
co-opting it and using it differently, if possible, to be that change force, the creation of that universal consciousness, if you will. Because think about it, internet is like almost like a God sphere. You can transcend space and time so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so you can spread the good. If bad can spread, then the good can be spread. And of course, I'm using binaries when I'm saying good and bad. What I mean is that consciousness of justice, consciousness of inclusion. And I think a lot of it, a lot of hatred and toxicity is because there's an unconsciousness of good, an unconsciousness of uh, justice, and also fear that justice for somebody else is just injustice for me. And to spread that idea that it doesn't have to be that way. Justice for me is not necessarily predicated on injustice for the other. So a global sense of coexistence, a more universal consciousness of human emancipation that is based on empathy. And as you rightly pointed out, including the enemy, where we transmute the venom of the enemy, not sullenly co-opt the enemy. We transmute the venom of the enemy through dialogic deep thinking, a kind of an interaction, and to do it not in like a top-down godlike fashion, but to do it in a way that we connect with the local concrete contexts of fear and exclusion and injustice, and then abstract it to a more universal level so that the, you know, it's not like large words and big jargons and things happening so far that people in the Uh, ordinary life stuck here in places don't understand it. And so I think that's the onus of the left um, is to become more accessible in a more empathetic way where you include whoever you're calling the enemy to create a global sense of empathy and coexistence in a more concrete way. Because we have to hope, Jason, that we are not born to hate. There is not a DNA or a blood group uh, that the doctor tests and say, oh, yeah, this baby is going to hate for the rest of their lives. So it, it, it is, that's their blood group. So it is a social programming. It's a human thing to hate and be afraid. It's also a human thing to love and to connect and to be empathetic. And so I think those need to be amped up in the Internet space. And one has to show that this is the road to happiness. This is the road to prosperity. This is the road to well-being, a different kind of well-being. And one in in which we don't have to be competitive. That you cannot really be happy if your partner is unhappy in the house or your mother is unhappy or your neighbor is unhappy because it causes a larger toxicity of the community and society. So you just because you have a flat screen TV will not make you happy. Everybody else around you in your house and outside are throwing stones at you. So, you know, so the justice will have to be imagined in a more collective way and you have to connect justice with happiness. And I think we've connected materialism with happiness. And it's because of the patriarchal capitalism, neoliberal capitalism that you were talking about. And so I think the, uh, the co-optation, I shouldn't use co-optation, transmutation of the enemy and the transmutation of the ideology of the enemy by including the enemy as well, as you said, is a mature project and I think we need that maturity from the left. It really is a mature project. And uh, I think this is one of the biggest problems of the left. It is this uh, fighting back with the same toxicity in a way sometimes. It's not about 
finding a way to be, you know, to transcend the hatred of the other person and to say you are fully toxic and violent and murderous, but... Yeah, to understand the toxic person as a human being. Exactly, exactly. And to to understand that that we partake in that toxicity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their toxicity, I'm responsible for that to a certain degree because I share that person's society. Yeah, completely. Is the acknowledgement of that, I think. Um, It's a mature project. It's a hard project. Uh, But it is a self-conscious, non-reactive, interactive project. So I think uh, it is important for non-react that we don't react immediately to the hatred that's being spewed to us mm-hmm. and because if you dehumanize uh, the other person how are you gonna exactly. ever hope to create a world where they also feel that they belong exactly and that you can have actual peace and actual prosperity exactly because the, the other part if you are from the alt-right then if you even try to dabble with the left or to dabble with more progressive ideas and the first contact that you have talks about you like you're the devil then there is no going there because your own fears Mm -hmm. are confirmed it's like these people are crazy they hate everyone that doesn't agree with them and of course they don't agree with you and of course that the left is not going to agree with the alt-right but the way the enemy is approached i think is pivotal and to approach that would also mean a good look at who we are as the left. And uh, there is a lot of toxicity and venom in that as well. You know, oh, your methodology is different from mine. It is about uh, critiquing capitalism. No, it is about critiquing the destruction of the environment. No, it is. So there's a lot of fragmentation. And um, there is also a lot of commodification of the left as well. So who's going to be the top leader, uh, whether Che is going to be on the T-shirt or not. Mm. And so there is a lot. So... Uh, left is often a product of capitalism rather than a disruption of it. It's often a product of uh, um, the period of enlightenment. And and so to be cognizant of our own toxicity as we claim ourselves to be the prophet, uh, I think is uh, very important, I think, to take an internal, very good look at who we are as the left and can we really be the emotional bridge connecting global subconsciousness to global consciousness? Mm-hmm. Or are we just also reacting out of our own fear and hatred from a very ephemeral consciousness level? Um, that is a deconstruction that we must do of ourselves and, and our vision of the left. Only then there is a possibility of, as you said, real peace, whatever that would mean. Right, absolutely. And on that note, I would like to thank you so, so much for this conversation. I feel like I learned so much. I mean, I had my, you know, I've had my contact with the alt-right. I am 25 after all. I grew up in the very active phase of the internet. And while I was a young boy, 18, 19, back in 2015, 2016, right, that was a time when I remember a lot of this happening in the online space that I experienced at the time. And so all of these things that we talked about today, like trad wife and red pilled and all of that jargon is extremely yeah. familiar to yeah. me as it's, you know, it's it's around, it's there. Um, and I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to have uh, this experience that I had and still am having in my online interactions uh, 
analyzed by someone like you that has done such an extensive dive. And it is, it is harder for me to penetrate the alt-right because I'm not that 25-ish white man. Yes. So it is very hard for me to enter their uh, very secluded castle or sphere. And so it is very hard for me to do that uh, insurgent activist research. I can only look at what they're putting out. So if there are these exclusive clubs, I have to change my name or something or pretend to be something <laughs> else in, in order to penetrate that. Um, so it is an interesting, exciting venture. And it was, it's, it's been a pleasure, Jason, uh, to talk to you on this. Mine too. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much, Ipshita. Thank you so much, Jason. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>